0: Section One of Manners, Custom and Dress. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ligny Manners, Custom and Dress during the Middle Ages and during the Renaissance Period by Paul Lacroix. Section One Condition of Persons and Lands disorganization of the West at the beginning of the Middle Ages, mixture of Roman, Germanic, and Gallic institutions, fusion organized under Charlemagne, royal authority, position of the great feudalists, division of the territory and prerogatives attached to landed possessions, freemen and tenants, the letai, the colon, the serf, and the laborer, who may be called the origin of the modern lower classes formation of communities right of mortmen the period known as the middle ages says the learned benjamin gerard is the produce of pagan civilization of germanic barbarism and of christianity it began in 476 on the fall of augustulus and ended in 1453 at the taking of constantinople by mohammed the second and consequently the fall of two empires that of the west and that of the east, marks its duration. Its first act, which was due to the Germans, was the destruction of political unity, and this was destined to be afterwards replaced by religion's unity. Then we find a multitude of scattered and disorderly influences growing on the ruins of central power. The yoke of imperial dominion was broken by the barbarians, but the populace, far from acquiring liberty, fell to the lowest degrees of servitude instead of one despot it found thousands of tyrants and it was but slowly and with much trouble that it succeeded in freeing itself from feudalism nothing could be more strangely troubled than the west at the time of the dissolution of the empire of the caesars nothing more diverse or more discordant than the interests the institutions and the state of society which were delivered to the Germans. In fact, it would be impossible in the whole pages of history to find a society formed of more heterogeneous or incompatible elements. On the one side might be placed the Goths, Burgundians, Vandals, Germans, Franks, Saxons and Lombards, nations, or more strictly hordes, accustomed to rough and successful warfare, and on the other the Romans, including those people who, by long servitude to Roman dominion, had become closely allied with their conquerors. There were, on both sides, freemen, freedmen, colons, and slaves, different ranks and degrees being, however, observable both in freedom and servitude. This hierarchical principle applied itself even to the land, which was divided into freeholds, tributary lands, lands of the nobility, and servile lands, thus constituting the freeholds, the benefices, the fiefs, and the tenures. It may be added that the customs, and to a certain degree the laws, varied according to the masters of the country, so that it can hardly be wondered at that everywhere diversity and inequality were to be found, and, as a consequence, that anarchy and confusion ruled supreme. The Germans had brought with them over the Rhine none of the heroic virtues attributed to them by Tacitus, when he wrote their history, with the evident intention of making a satire on his countrymen. Amongst the degenerate Romans, whom those ferocious Germans had subjugated, civilization was reconstituted on the ruins of vices common in the early history of a new society, by the adoption of a series of loose and dissolute habits, both by the conquerors and the conquered. In fact, the conquerors contributed the worst share for whilst exercising the low and debasing instincts of their former barbarism they undertook the work of social reconstruction with a sort of natural and innate servitude to them liberty the desire for which caused them to brave the greatest dangers was simply the right of doing evil of obeying their ardent thirst for plunder long ago in the depths of their forests they had adopted the curious institution of vassalage when they came to the west to create states instead of reducing personal power every step in their social edifice from the top to the bottom was made to depend on individual superiority to bow to a superior was their first political principle and on that principle feudalism was one day to find its base servitude was in fact to be found in all conditions and ranks, equally in the palace of the sovereign as in the dwellings of his subjects. The vassal who was waited on at his own table by a varlet, himself served at the table of his lord. The nobles treated each other likewise, according to their rank, and all the exactions which each submitted to from his superiors, and required to be paid to him by those below him, were looked upon not as onerous duties but as rights and honours the sentiment of dignity and of personal independence which has become so to say the soul of modern society did not exist at all or at least but very slightly amongst the germans if we could doubt the fact we have but to remember that these men so proud so indifferent to suffering or death would often think little of staking their liberty in gambling in the hope that if successful their gain might afford them the means of gratifying some brutal passion when the franks took root in gaul their dress and institutions were adopted by the roman society this had the most disastrous influence in every point of view and it is easy to prove that civilization did not emerge from this chaos until by degrees the teutonic spirit disappeared from the world as long as this spirit reigned, neither private nor public liberty existed. Individual patriotism only extended as far as the border of a man's family, and the nation became broken up into clans. Gaul soon found itself parceled off into domains which were almost independent of one another. It was thus that Germanic genius became developed. THE ADVANTAGES OF ACTING TOGETHER FOR MUTUAL PROTECTION FIRST ESTABLISHED ITSELF IN FAMILIES. IF any one SUFFERED FROM AN ACT OF VIOLENCE, HE LAID THE MATTER BEFORE HIS RELATIVES FOR THEM JOINTLY TO SEEK REPARATION. THE QUESTION WAS THEN settled BETWEEN THE FAMILIES OF THE OFFENDED PERSON AND THE OFFENDER, ALL OF WHOM WERE EQUALLY ASSOCIATED IN THE OBJECT OF VINDICATING A CAUSE WHICH INTERESTED THEM ALONE, WITHOUT RECOGNIZING ANY ESTABLISHED AUTHORITY. And without appealing to the law, if the parties had sought the protection or advice of men of power, the quarrel might at once take a wider scope and tend to kindle a feud between two nobles. In any case, the king only interfered when the safety of his person or the interests of his dominions were threatened. Penalties and punishments were almost always to be averted by a money payment. A son, for instance instead of avenging the death of his father, received from the murderer a certain indemnity in specie, according to a legal tariff, and the law was thus satisfied. The tariff of indemnities or compensations to be paid for each crime formed the basis of the code of laws amongst the principal tribes of Franks, a code essentially barbarian, and called the Salic Law, or Law of the Salients. Such, however, was the spirit of inequality among the german races that it became an established principle for justice to be subservient to the rank of individuals the more powerful a man was the more he was protected by the law the lower his rank the less the law protected him the life of a frank by right was worth twice that of a roman the life of a servant of the king was worth three times that of an ordinary individual who did not possess that protecting tie. On the other hand, punishment was the more prompt and rigorous according to the inferiority of position of the culprit. In case of theft, for instance, a person of importance was brought before the king's tribunal, and, as it respected the rank held by the accused in the social hierarchy, little or no punishment was awarded. In the case of the same crime by a poor man, on the contrary, the ordinary judge gave immediate sentence, and he was seized and hung on the spot. Inasmuch as no political institutions amongst the Germans were nobler or more just than those of the Franks and the other barbaric races, we cannot accept the creed of certain historians who have represented the Germans as the true regenerators of society in Europe. The true sources of modern civilization are indisputably pagan antiquity and christianity after the fall of the merovingian kings great progress was made in the political and social state of nations these kings who were but chiefs of undisciplined bands were unable to assume a regal character properly so called their authority was more personal than territorial for incessant changes were made in the boundaries of their conquered dominions it was therefore with good reason that they style themselves kings of the Franks, and not kings of France. Charlemagne was the first to recognize that social union, so admirable an example of which was furnished by Roman organization, and who was able, with the very elements of confusion and disorder to which he succeeded, to unite, direct, and consolidate diverging and opposite forces, to establish and regulate public administrations, to found and build towns, and to form and reconstruct almost a new world. We hear of him assigning to each his place, creating for all a common interest, making of a crowd of small and scattered peoples a great and powerful nation, in a word, rekindling the beacon of ancient civilization. When he died, after a most active and glorious reign of forty-five years, he left an immense empire in the most perfect state of peace. But this magnificent inheritance was unfortunately destined to pass into unworthy or impotent hands, so that society soon fell back into anarchy and confusion. The nobles, in their turn invested with power, were continually at war, and gradually weakened the royal authority, the power of the kingdom, by their endless disputes with the crown and with one another. The revolution in society, which took place under the Carlovingian dynasty, had, for its special object, that of rendering territorial what was formerly personal, and, as it were, of destroying personality in matters of government. The usurpation of lands by the great, having been thus limited by the influence of the lesser holders, everybody tried to become the holder of land. Its possession, then, formed the basis of social position, and, as a consequence, individual servitude became lessened, and society assumed a more stable condition. The ancient laws of wandering tribes fell into disuse, and, at the same time, many distinctions of caste and race disappeared, as they were incompatible with the new order of things. As there were no more salient, superwarients, nor visigoths among the freemen, so there were no more colons, letai, nor slaves, amongst those deprived of liberty. Heads of families, on becoming attached to the soil, naturally had other wants and other customs than those which they had delighted in when they were only the chiefs of wandering adventurers. The strength of their followers was not now so important to them as the security of their castles. Fortresses took the place of armed bodies, and at this time every one who wished to keep what he had entrenched himself to the best of his ability at his own residence, The banks of rivers, elevated positions, and all inaccessible heights were occupied by towers and castles, surrounded by ditches, which served as strongholds to the lords of the soil. These places of defense soon became points for attack. Out of danger at home, many of the nobles kept watch like birds of prey on the surrounding country, and were always ready to fall, not only upon their enemies, but also on their neighbors in the hope either of robbing them when off their guard, or of obtaining a ransom for any unwary traveller who might fall into their hands. Everywhere society was in ambuscade, and waged civil war, individual against individual, without peace or mercy. Such was the reign of feudalism. It is unnecessary to point out how this system of perpetual petty warfare tended to reduce the power of centralization, and how royalty itself was weakened towards the end of the Second Dynasty. When the descendants of Hugh Capet wished to restore their power by giving it a larger basis, they were obliged to attack, one after the other, all these strongholds, and practically to re each fief, city, and province held by these petty monarchs, in order to force their owners to recognize the sovereignty of the king. Centuries of war and negotiations became necessary, before the kingdom of France could be, as it were, reformed. The corporations and the citizens had great weight in restoring the monarchical power, as well as in forming French nationality. But by far the best influence brought to bear in the Middle Ages was that of Christianity. The doctrine of one origin and of one final destiny, being common to all men of all classes, constantly acted as a strong inducement for thinking that all should be equally free religious equality paved the way for political equality and as all christians were brothers before god the tendency was for them to become as citizens equal also in law this transformation however was but slow and followed concurrently the progress made in the security of property at the onset the slave only possessed his life and this was but imperfectly guaranteed to him by the laws of charity, laws which, however, year by year became of greater power. He afterwards became colon, or laborer, working for himself, under certain conditions and tenures, paying fines or services, which, it is true, were often very extortionate. At this time he was considered to belong to the domain on which he was born, and he was at least sure that that soil would not be taken from him and that, in giving part of his time to his master, he was at liberty to enjoy the rest according to his fancy. The farmer, afterwards, became proprietor of the soil he cultivated, and master, not only of himself, but of his lands, certain trivial obligations or fines being all that was required of him, and these daily grew less, and at last disappeared altogether. Having thus obtained a footing in society, he soon began to take a place in provincial assemblies, and he made the last bound on the road of social progress, when the vote of his fellow electors sent him to represent them in the Parliament of the Kingdom. Thus, the people, who had begun by excessive servitude, gradually climbed to power. End of section 1